0: Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding, the Daily Edition. I'm your host, John Green, and here we are now. We're at Wednesday, March the 10th. The year is slipping on by. Lent is slipping on by as well. I hope that it is for you. I hope that, that your commitments that you made at the beginning of Lent have gone well and that you've held to those things. I'm doing pretty well with them, uh, working hard at it. But uh, let's see what we can do today. We're in Jeremiah still. We're in Jeremiah 8, verses 18 through chapter 9 verse 6 today and it's God complaining still about his people and, and saying how horrible it is and if you just wanted to say okay what is the uh, the overriding theme of this passage is that, that all people stink I mean it sounds exactly like the kind of complaint God made way back in Genesis 6 when he was talking about the people in Noah's day but now he's talking about the people he's in covenant with and thankfully He's speaking about the people he's in covenant with because he's in covenant with them in a way that he wasn't with the people in Noah's day. And so destruction won't come, but it's not going to go well. God is announcing judgment, and that judgment is going to be irrevocable. He's saying that that what is wrong with these people? And, and it begins with Jeremiah making the statement that, woe to the people. Behold the cry of the uh, daughter of my people, from the length and breadth of the land, is not the Lord. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her King, not in her? And He's not. He's leaving them to their own devices because they have provoked Him to such anger that He's pulled back and pulled away from them. And God asked that question: Why have they provoked Me to anger? The harvest is past, and the summer is ended. And we are not saved. And you know, I think we can hear that same complaint in our own lives. And I don't know if you've ever, you know, sort of struggled or been through hard times, but you, 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 somehow or another, you set a period of time in your mind and think, okay, by this point it'll do this. By this point it'll do this. I've got a friend that refers to this as sort of Christian horoscopes, and. I've seen people do that with respect to festivals and with respect to all kinds of things in the Old Testament. Say, ah, okay, so now here we come on this festival, and so it's got these things have to happen by this festival, and then, you know, they're disappointed again and again. And here it's because the Lord says, you haven't changed. You haven't repented of your sins. You haven't made any effort to turn away from these things. And so his complaint continues to come against him. And at one point, this is, can you imagine anything worse than God saying this? Oh, that I had in the desert a traveler's lodging place that I might leave my people and go away from them. Just leave them. Leave them to their own devices. Walk away from them. But he can't do that. Instead, what he has to do is then he has to execute judgment against his people. And he said that every neighbor goes about as a slanderer. Every brother is a deceiver. Everyone deceives his neighbor. No one speaks the truth and goes on and on, having oppression upon oppression, heaping oppression upon oppression, and deceit upon deceit. They refuse to know me, declares the Lord. I mean, there's nothing that he can say in their defense, everything that they do is wrong. He holds the commandments against them. He holds their lives against them. He holds their greed against them. He holds their apostasy against them. You can see it. You can see it in in the world today. You can see it in America today. We can see people who claim to be God's people, who claim to be his, who know nothing of the truth and who make no effort to know the truth. Unfortunately, I know people who, who make claim to being Christians because they've been Christians in the past, but they never worship, they never go to church, they never read the Bible, they never listen to anything except occasionally they listen to some Christian radio. But the reality is, is that we've got to immerse ourselves in the Word of God. We're supposed to be constantly like the Israelites were supposed to be when they came into the land. When Moses told them that way back in Deuteronomy, that their lives, our lives, are to be filled with Him and the knowledge of Him, and we're supposed to not just be filled with it ourselves. We're supposed to be teaching one another. We're supposed to constantly be filling ourselves in joy with what God has for us, not just the things of the world. And we spend so much time focused on the things of the world that we don't have time for God, or we squeeze Him into that Sunday time. But, but. He, He demands more than that. He needs more than that. And we need more than that of Him. It's more important for us to be in Him than not. For in Him can we live in safety, not apart from Him. It's dangerous business to drift further and further from Him and then to also, because we unknowingly or knowingly begin then to accrete other things into our belief system and into the worldview that we have and we begin to then baptize those and call them christian and that's probably a lot of what had been done in israel at the time as well so we get this complaint that god has is there's nothing good in israel there's nothing i I have nothing to work with i mean it's as bad a complaint as there is against sodom and gomorrah it's as bad as the time of noah and so god is leaving them up to destruction however he's not leaving them permanently because of the covenant that he has with his people and covenants are permanent they are everlasting especially on god's part no matter how unfaithful we are he will always be faithful to his covenant if we come back to him so then we get from there we move over to that gospel lesson and jesus is speaking to the people and he says i'm the light of the world Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That, do you know what claim he's making there? He's claiming to be the Word of God because that is the light of the world. The light of the world, the Jewish people. The light of the world is the temple. The way the windows were made in the holy place and the holy of holies was is that they were not designed to funnel light into those places. They, especially in the holy place, they were designed in such a way that that light from the holy place was to be funneled out into the world because it truly was the light of the world. The light of the world, you can look back to the beginning, look back to Genesis, when God creates the very first thing, he says, let there be light. And that light is not the light of the sun, it's the light of the world. And so i mentioned some of this before. I've told you the story about the understanding of the light that covered Adam and Eve. The, that's the clothing that they wore when they didn't perceive themselves to be naked, they pers- they were naked and unafraid, and, and the they surmised that that was because they were covered in the Shekinah glory of God, but there's this other light, and that light went away, and that light was dimmed, so say the sages, at the time of that first sin, because what they said that light was, that light was the light by which a man could see from one end of the universe to the other, and that's not just space, it's also time to be able to see across that. And and so they said that light had to go away and, and be dimmed and it can only be illuminated by the power of the Holy Spirit in a prophetic way because now that man had sin in the world, that the problem was is that then um, if, if the man had that light by which he could see across space and time, then he could see the effect of something, and so he could say, okay, if I do this, then this will ultimately be the result across space and time. And so that light of the world had to be dimmed. So that's the the... The idea behind the light of the world in Judaism is that, and so that's the reason that the holy place, that place from which God dwells out of the holy of holies, then through the holy place whereby man is sanctified once a year to be able to go into the holy of holies and make atonement for sin, that light the light of the, of the uh, menorah, the candelabra that's in the holy place is then funneled out into the world through the way that those windows or those openings are designed <clears throat> to bring light to the world. And so it comes directly from the holy place, directly from the place where, where we would go to meet with God, the place where the showbread is and the incense, where the prayers of the people go up. And so that light is the light of the world. Jesus is making claim to be that. He's making claim to be exactly that. And what he says is that whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so you turn from sin and begin to follow him, and then you begin to see more clearly, and you can see your way in the world and make your way through the world safely. And It's a powerful statement that Jesus would make to say something like that. Um, and so you can see why John is gives us the sayings of Jesus that offend People and turned them away from him and infuriated people that he said this. And so when he makes this statement, their response is, is, You're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony's not true. So it's not good enough just for you to make a statement like that. It, it requires more than you. And Jesus has provided witness before, right? He's already said, Look at the works I'm doing. Look what John said. Look at all these things. But now he's speaking specifically to the Pharisees who have challenged him about this idea and he says even if i do bear witness about myself my testimony is true that is just directly in your face because that's against the law to say that even if i bear witness about myself my testimony is true but then he says for i know where i'm coming came from and where i'm going i know things you don't know he says you don't know where i come from or where i'm going you judge according to the flesh. I judge nobody, but if I do judge, my judgment's true. For it's not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. And then he goes on to say to them that, that the law says that it has testimony has to be established by two witnesses. And he says, I'm the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And then they say, where's your Father? They want to question the Father. They don't understand that he means the father who's in heaven, um, they literally, I believe, mean his earthly father, who they know not to be alive any longer. And he says, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you'd know my father also. And so they're not seeing the family resemblance the, the that he is, literally claiming to be one with God here. They're not seeing that because they refuse to see it. He doesn't meet their expectations, and he's not doing the things they want him to do, and he's taking the people away from them. These are the the bad shepherds, the evil shepherds that that the Lord speaks about in different prophecies, notably in Ezekiel and notably, again, in Zechariah. And he says he's going to come and break those shepherds, and he's going he's to shepherd the people himself. And so when Jesus claims in another place to be the good shepherd, we're going to get there soon that he's claiming to be one with God and we're moving in that direction. And you can see that move here when he speaks these things to the Pharisees. He's still speaking in spiritual terms and they're interpreting it in ways of the flesh, and which is he has just told them that they've done. And so they're they're still missing the point and it's it's largely that because they're determined that he's not who he might be and once they've determined that then they can't see it and I see that same thing with rabbis today that I listen to that they, they have great learning and they know great things the Lord through the Holy Spirit is revealing things to them but the problem is they've already determined that he is not who we believe he is And so no matter what they see, and no matter how much of the new knowledge that they've learned through the sages and the rabbis comes into focus, and it focuses on, well, wait a minute, what I heard you say points to Jesus. They've already determined that's not who he is, and so their minds are closed against that truth. And that's the problem, is these guys have already decided that. Paul had decided it too, and then he gets met um, on the way to Damascus on the road there, and he's struck blind. For a season of time and he hears the voice from heaven and that's how he received the revelation it took that dramatic a piece of evidence to convince Paul as well but Paul becomes completely convinced by the evidence that he's given that day that Jesus, the one who speaks to him from heaven is indeed exactly who the church claimed that he was and exactly who Jesus claimed he was and so Paul latches onto that in Romans 5 that it's all about faith, that we have Because we've justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've obtained access by faith into His grace by which we stand. And if anybody knew about grace, it was Paul persecuting the church, killing people for that. He says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Because suffering produces endurance, which produces character, which produces hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame. And so Paul has learned only through a powerful revelation on the road to Damascus that Jesus is exactly who he said he was, and he is indeed the light of the world. And then he goes on to marvel and say, this is beautiful to me. For while we were still weak, at the right time Jesus died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died. Us. While we were awful people, while we were doing things like persecuting the church and denying Christ in the world, trying to kill that church before it even started, he died for us. Paul knew who he was and he knew how he He became the man that he was he knew about salvation he knew about justification and because of that he uses this word again and again and again three times in this passage and then over and over and over in philippians he talks about rejoicing because paul knew what his sentence was and would have been had not christ revealed himself to him he knew that without that revelation without jesus choosing to come and make himself known directly to him in a powerful way that he had no hope because he was blind he was walking in darkness and then jesus came and his eyes were opened when he had ananias come and lay hands on him and his eyes were open he began to see again the scales fell from his eyes men walking in their own power walking under the power of the flesh unenlightened by the power of the holy spirit have no hope and so for us it's not our job to get frustrated when we present the word to somebody, when we present the gospel to somebody and they turn away and they reject us. No, we just pray for them. We ask that God give them the Holy Spirit that they would have the same enlightenment, the same gifts and the same grace that He gave to us because once we walked in that same darkness.